I can tell you what I'm seeing. Nothing's changed for my practice. I work mostly with private corporations. I'm not working with the federal government. So in my world, our work continues. Our clients are not stopping. They recognize that in order for their company to be relevant in 2020 and beyond, they must pay attention to this now. Welcome, Diversity Disruptors. Today's episode, we are focusing on the no diversity ban that was discussed over the weekend, that it was announced, it was all over media. And what does that mean to you as a diversity practitioner, as a diversity consultant? Well, that's the conversation I had today with our guest, Karen Hines of Workplace Success Group. Karen has over 20 years of leadership and development experience where she has been focusing on diversity and inclusion. So you can imagine at this time, she's extremely busy as she's working with senior leaders on race relations and helping them to understand how to deal with anti-racism in this today's climate. You're going to really enjoy this conversation because not only are we talking about the ban, but we talk about how to make diversity not just a program or a checkbox in your organization, but Karen really deeply dives into how to keep this conversation going and not let it just be it's something that's a moment in time. But before we get into that conversation, I want to say to you, are you a part of the HR for Her Inner Circle? If not, you don't want to miss out being a part of this community, having your special branded items, and not even that, getting early release of all our guests, videos, audios, and special gifts that they leave behind. So hang on, join the conversation. I cannot wait for you to hear what Karen has to say today. Welcome everyone to another session of HR for Her. I'm super excited today because I have my good friend and colleague, Karen Hines of Workplace Success Group. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe I'm like stumbling over something that I say all the time. And so we're so excited here. Karen has been doing such great work in diversity for, I don't know, how many years now, Karen? 22 years. Yeah, <laughs> 22 years. And so we all know in the current climate that we're in, that this has been such a demand like never before. Karen is super busy working with clients, helping them um, really work through some of the issues that we know come out of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so we're gonna talk today about this headlines that we've all been seeing in the news regarding Trump banning diversity training. I think this is such an important topic for us and this community of diversity practitioners because now people have gotten a pause. I don't know about you, Karen, but did you feel like your phone was just blowing up over this weekend? Oh my goodness. There most definitely, most definitely has been. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's like in this new panic. So before we dive into that conversation, I have got to ask you, like I've asked every one of our guests first, what does gender diversity mean to you? Wow, that's a good question, Sable. I think if you'd asked me that question two years, maybe even 10 or 15 years ago, it would probably, even when I started 22 years ago, we would talk about gender diversity is male-female. That's what we're said. I think now we've seen an evolution of what that means, and it's really a bit more encompassing. So it's recognizing that we're not just looking at male-female, that there are other identities within gender diversity now. Yes, yes. And, you know, and we talk about inclusion. You know, I can tell you, it's not about for some women, but it's for all women. We're talking about, you know, the male and the female, but right now a lot of conversations have been around race. We've been mm. talking a lot about race since the killing and the murder of George Floyd. 
companies are taking a stand uh, publicly on anti-racism. They're doing a lot of training. I know that you have been extremely busy working with clients mm -hmm. and doing that work. So when we think about how racism plays into the workplace, and especially for women of color, mm -hmm. why is this work so important? You know, when we started doing this work 22 years ago, it wasn't very popular. I basically started helping financial services companies build diverse talent pipeline, and that meant different racial and ethnic identities. When we look at what's going on right now in today's environment, I'm recognizing even more the level of people just unaware. So they're not aware of racism. It doesn't touch their lives. So they can go about unbothered, unconcerned, because they're not living in a neighborhood where it might be affected. Or if they're in a workplace where there are people who are Black, they're not interacting on a close level. And even when they're interacting on a close level, they're not attuned to the intimate details of people's lives. It's a very surface relationship. So to be aware of what's going on with racism in today's environment, I think what we're seeing is a lot of leaders just do not know because it wasn't taught in school and there's no real imperative in the workplace, I would say, before uh, the murder of George Floyd like we're seeing now. So it's even more critical now for leaders to be aware of what exactly is racism. It is a systemic racism, not just the individual, because some people still get that mix up. They think, well, racism is a person and I'm not racist, so I must be okay. And it's helping them to see that when we talk about racism, it's looking at the system. So helping people see that, it's been quite an eye-opening experience for a lot of leaders who work mostly with the C-suite, who now say, I didn't know. So we have to continue this work. Mm. And that's really interesting. So we're looking at a system and not necessarily looking at a person. Exactly. And I think a lot of times we take it very personally, but it is a person, is it not, who is actually sometimes acting in a racist way or has racist behavior or tendencies. Mm -hmm. But well, people, you know, human beings, we're the ones who put policies and procedures in place that are racist. And racism is meant specifically to harm a particular racial group. So people are putting in place. However, even when those same individuals change the policies and the change of procedures, it is kept in place by attitudes and norms. So we have to be mindful that we're not just changing policies and changing rules, that we're actually affecting the attitudes and the behaviors of individuals. That's why it's, you can't just do one without the other. You have to change the policies and the rules as well as educate people because there are so many people who think that racism no longer exists. Uh, they see it as something that happened back around slavery time or in the civil rights movement. They're not aware of that in 2020, we still have a lot to work through. Yeah, it's sad to say that racism is alive and well. Well, very much so, very much so, unfortunately. <laughs> so when we're saying that, and we're now looking at the headlines that we saw this weekend of mm -hmm. Trump bans of diversity training, and then when we, what does that really mean? Because he says that this is anti-American mm -hmm. and that this is just propaganda but you're also saying that no, racism is still around. So are we saying that he's unaware, maybe perhaps because of his own environment or where he's living? I can't speak for him, I don't know him, but what I can say <laughs> is from the leaders that we're working with, there are a lot of people who are still very much unaware. 
So that educational piece is, is critical to helping them see that we're not talking about something that is uh, three or 400 years old. We're talking about something that is 2020 relevant. We're talking about something that is impacting not only the lives of those who are working, it's impacting the lives of you know, regular, ordinary citizens. And if we don't pay attention, you know, beyond what you see with happening in the judicial system and a lot of killings happening of black men, there are other facets. There's, if you look at Fortune 500, there are only three black CEOs. We still have compensation inequities. We still have microaggressions. We still have standard disparities. We're still looking at a lack of a, a bench, a talent bench for companies. So there's still much to pay attention to. We still have inequities in housing. We still have inequities in educational system. So it's not just one part. It's looking at all the systems that affect Every one of us, whether you're black or not, you pay, you are affected by this. So we're all affected. It's coming mm-hmm. from the street into the corporate or, I mean, we bring it in. So it's not mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, it's separate. It's outside there. So it's not going to exactly. here. So with this announcement, and you're saying that this work is important because it, you know, the systems are there, there's microaggressions in the workplace. What happens now? So we hear that training is banned. This diversity training is banned. Mm-hmm. What should a diversity consultant be doing now who is working with a client who is teaching on race or doing training? What should they do now? I can tell you what I'm seeing. Nothing's changed for my practice. I work mostly with private corporations. I'm not working with the federal government. So in my world, our work continues. Our clients are not stopping. They recognize that in order for their company to be relevant in 2020 and beyond, they must pay attention to this now. So our private clients, our private corporations that we're working with, they're continuing, the phones are continuing to ring because I think at this point in our history, there are too many people who've been awakened to the damages of racism for us to stop educating people. There are people who never knew that uh, Black Wall Street happened or that we had redlining or that the GI Bill or uh, veterans of color did not receive the benefits. But people are also learning about the Crown Act because in 43 states, it's still very much okay for companies to discriminate against someone because of their natural hair, such as, you know, Bantu uh, knots, uh, dreadlocks, or if you're wearing an Afro. So there's still work to be done. And the companies and the leaders that we're working with, they're not stopping. They're continuing to forge ahead because they recognize the critical nature of this work at this time for the well-being of their employees, but also for the well-being of the company and the longevity of the company as well. That's very important that they're not saying, you know, seeing this sign and saying, well, mm-hmm. now I'm out. So I just want to kind of dig a little bit into the letter, into the announcement, because I think mm-hmm. we kind of like dived in it without giving you some yeah. explanation. So we know that the headlines all this weekend says Trump bans diversity training, um, it's anti-American, and it's propaganda. And this also came from a letter from the Office of the Budget and Management, which actually focused on two areas, mm-hmm. uh, critical race theory, white privilege, and basically talking about inherent racism that we should not be discussing that. Mm-hmm. How important is it for us to discuss critical race theory if we are talking and making people aware, as you said, and educating people Mm -hmm. on Mm anti-racism? I think it is extremely critical. From the sessions that we've been conducting over the last couple of months, there are still too many people who never learned about racism. So for them to see the roots of it, uh, for them to see how it's progressed over 
let's even start from, you know, from the early 1900s, how it's progressed to where we are in 2020. People have, there's an awakening that's happening. And I heard one, one uh, senior leader who said, how could I not have been aware of this? How could I not have known this? And I went to school, I went to college, I graduated, I did grad school. I've been a leader in, in a large company for years. How could I not have known this? And we had a conversation around, that is part of the system, to stifle the education of individuals so they wouldn't know that racism exists the way we, we, we know it is right now. And that's part of what we need to uncover and keep pushing towards to educate people, that it is real, that people are being harmed by it on a daily basis, that there's a, a long history of atrocities against people who are black in this country. And unless we are aware of what happened, we are going to repeat that cycle again. And people must become awakened to how our country was, how it is now, and what do we want this country to be in the next five, ten, you know, the next generation? How would my grandchildren experience this country? That's important for us to make that progress. So, so us kind of taking these two areas out of our awareness or training or conversation is really just more setting us back versus moving us forward. Exactly. And it's denying the existence of the racial terrors that have happened and are still happening. Mm -hmm. It will be denying the existence of the disparities and the gap that exists along racial lines. It will be denying the hurt, the pain, and the frustration and that already exists because people are being uh, treated unequally. We want equity. And if you don't have that education, we can't strive towards equity. And you mentioned something that people are still being treated unequal and or not fair and mm -hmm. you know two things you said there also that we're looking for equity and which people keep saying equal and which is not equal you know for yeah. equity um we're looking for an opportunity to actually shine and be our best yes. and being able to do that in a way that is beneficial or just makes sense to us right so not mm -hmm. like you know equal way but you also kind of say well, there's still discrimination and so we know when we especially when we're talking about women of color and especially mm -hmm. black women that they're making 68 cents to the dollar versus the 77 cents which we see always in the headlines mm -hmm. you know to the white women so that's a, a, a clear example of where it's not just that race does play into how women are treated Mm -hmm. in the workplace so it's not that, that like this one size fit all we're talking about all women we do have to do something and make an intentional focus on mm -hmm. women of color black women and actually say how can we fix this situation so now that we have this announcement we know it was targeted at federal agencies it was mm -hmm. not talking to private companies no it was not it wasn't talking to private companies and so even in, so are we now thinking that the federal agency, if they don't have this information and our private organizations have this information, mm -hmm. what's the outcome? What's going to happen? I mean, if we have now yeah. shut this down and, you know, you explain how important this is. Yeah. I wish I could say I knew what would happen, but I think, you know, when you think that the federal government is also a, a consumer of goods and services, and we have to look at do they even have equity in their own systems? So we have to be concerned about that because they're not getting the education. There are no checks and balances. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, I'm going to assume that we're probably going to see, you know, the same old, same old, or we'll probably see a regression in some of the progress that's been made because you're bringing in individuals who are not aware. I'm thrilled that the private sector, um, this is not applied to the private sector and they can continue their work. But, you know, because we're all, you know, we all pay our taxes, we all want to make sure that our government serves us. But wouldn't it be wonderful as well as we can have the government being equitable in the contracts that they give out, in the way that they hire, in the way that they pay? That's all going to be affected because people are not going to be aware of what's going on. Yeah. I love that you, you continue to talk about the awareness. Mm-hmm. And so we had like a short discussion before we all came on camera mm-hmm. and Cameron was talking about what she does for her clients is not necessarily training, but awareness. So talk to us for a few minutes why that is so important, that distinction between awareness and training, especially mm-hmm. around this work. Even before the murder of George Floyd, we always said that we don't do diversity training. We, what am I training someone to do? Our job, when my team and I go in and we work with a client, our job is to introduce information that they may not have been aware of. So we're building and heightening their awareness around some of the pieces around racism that they never learned in school. It wasn't a part of their business education. It wasn't a part of their apprenticeship, depending on what industry they're in. So our job is to expose them. We always tell our clients, we're not here to change you. We're not here to tell you what to do because we also know that a lot of the individuals we're working with, that you know, they come from backgrounds that promote and advocate for a separation of races. We're very well aware of that when we go into these sessions. So for me or any one of my team members to go in and say, we're here to train you and fix you, that's not our job. <laughs> our job is to say, let me introduce some information that you may not be aware of, and then we want you to make your own decisions from that. What we've seen happening, and we always tell our clients, this is a no judgment, no blaming, no arguing, no preaching zone. It's a safe space. We're going to introduce the information, and then you're going to have some time to think about how do you want to show up as a leader moving forward? What we've seen in our follow-up sessions, it's often a very uncomfortable conversation, and we let our clients know that up front. It's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. There's no smiling and joking during these conversations. It's going to be tough. But what we've seen is when they come back for our follow-up session, we hear people talk. One example of a senior leader said he was having dinner with a neighbor, and the off-color jokes that were commonplace he no longer felt comfortable sitting in silence. Uh, We had someone else who said, there's a family down the street uh, that's a black family and they've lived in that neighborhood for years, yet they never thought to invite them over for cocktails or dinner and they've extended that invitation. A third example is one uh, senior executive said, we had an opportunity, someone reached out to him and wanted to find out how did they move up in their career And he said, ordinarily, I would have just given her some information and be on my way, but recognize that because I sit in a position of power and because I have privilege, he began to be, he's now the advocate for this individual to shepherd her through her career moves. She happens to be a black woman. This is a white guy. So it's about helping people now show up in the world differently so that they're able to use their privilege, use the information they have. And it's the same for black people as well. Not every black person knows about this history. So let's not yeah, get that exactly. piece out of the conversation yeah. as well. And there's still things I'm learning. In school for us either. Exactly. So it's, it's not just about educating people who are white, it's educating all of us because this was not part of our everyday educational path. 
unless your parents or someone in the neighborhood took it upon themselves to expose you. And before George Floyd, that was considered very radical. It's now a little bit more normal, mainstream, and even, even though we're getting some pushback still. Okay, so now we're educating people, becoming aware, and I love that you're building allies, not just inside their organizations, but they're taking it outside. And, mm-hmm. and that is so, so critical because we can't be like, you don't check into your ally c- card, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm an ally from nine to five. And then when I go home, you know, I don't have to be an ally. So I love that these people are standing up, they're recognizing it yeah. in every situation that they are. But within all of this, what we always know, you know, because, you know, I was thinking, earlier when people kind of talk about, you know, we have to do things for black people. And I'm like, okay, well, who are black people, right? Right? Like, who are you talking about? Because there are so many intersectionalities when we talk Mm -hmm. about black people. And so one of the things, you know, because this is the HR for Her podcast, Mm -hmm. how are black women faring in these conversations? Are we paying any additional attention to them? Are we paying any additional looking at policies and saying, okay, well, this may work for the black man, but it might not work for the black woman. There's so many other, you know, sectionalities, even with that and the the gay community, the transgender community as well. You know, how are we, as we're talking about race, how are we bringing in the intersectionality of the black community? I don't think companies are there yet. I still think you're still looking at black people as a whole. They haven't gotten to that the black woman's experience is very different from that of the black man. In a lot of ways, she's at the very bottom of the totem pole for lack of a better explanation. So I think what we're seeing is organizations are now just trying to grapple with blackness and racism <laughs> and get a understanding. Let me just take yeah. that first. <laughs> yeah, let, me, let me just take it in small bites and figure out what on earth just happened. I think another conversation will need to happen about the experiences of black men and black women, that there are differences and to address those. Because when we see some companies who say, we have diversity, we have diversity, they're talking about white women. Yeah. And even when they bring on divert people who are color, they're going to the black man first. The black woman is often somewhere at a distant memory. So we haven't even drilled down that deep. People are still grappling with oh my goodness, how could I not know all this was happening? And how do I move forward? I want to make a difference, but what can I do at this time? Hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's really true. I mean, it's so much to bring into an organization when they were just almost like this blank slate. And so we don't want people also to be like drinking from a fire hose and we're just overwhelming them with already there (laughs) you know it's just like yeah and look what's happened to the black woman and look what's happened to the black woman in the lgbtq community so it's kind of like first try to understand the black experience and then we kind of like step by step so that's really good for our community for our practitioners to understand that while we're going in there and while we're um, having this awareness or trainings and whatever you're doing when you're working with your clients try not to overwhelm them don't cause them to drink from that fire hose and all of a sudden they shut the whole thing down yeah, because they're just like this is too much because like you said this is very uncomfortable these are mm-hmm. very uncomfortable conversations they need to be paced out they mm-hmm. need to be able to exhale i love the fact that you talk about this is a no blame zone they no one needs to leave a training feeling like in a blank like they everyone's pointing yeah. fingers at them exactly. where making people aware of a situation so they can change because if people's defenses start to rise up, then they start to walk out. Yeah, they're shut down. They don't want to be a part of it. 
they're not seeing this. So just want to ask another question regarding a message that you, I would love for you to share from your perspective in a time like this, what should our diversity um, practitioners, our consultants, what should they be doing to ensure that this information still stays at the top of the list? Mm -hmm. I always say that this was a business case. Yes. This was not an emotional move. This is a business case. This is a business move. And for me, one of the things is we got to keep reminding our clients that this is a business move. Yeah, it so is. Beyond that, what else should our community be doing to continue to keep this move? To keep, you know, it's not a movement, so I don't want to say this movement, but yeah. to keep this at the forefront of their clients' agenda. When we talk with our clients, we ask them to look at diversity, equity, and inclusion, not as a priority, but as a value. Because we want it to be baked into the DNA of the organization. Until that happens, we're constantly going to be reacting to situations. So although we're talking about racism for the Black experience in 2020 at this moment, in six months, a year and a half from now, it could be a different group. So if an organization is really serious, they're going to ensure they address what's happening right now for the black community. However, they're also going to bake DEI into the value system, into the business objectives. So no matter what group comes later on, they're able to pivot and address the needs of their key stakeholders, to address the needs of their employees, address the needs of their clients, because life's going to change. Life is going to change. This is going to be a phase for me. I know we hate to say it, but a year from now, things could be different. We could be addressing the needs of the transgender community, or we could be addressing the needs of uh, the Native American, or where the list goes on. So at this moment, HR practitioners need to get the air of uh, the C team, uh, the air of the CEO, and let him or her know that this needs to be a value, not a priority, because the priority will change with CEOs and trends. Once it becomes a value and tied to business objectives, then it becomes a part of the organization. It's baked into the DNA of the organization. So no matter who comes and goes, that stays. And that's what we need to happen in order for us to stop being so reactive to situations like this. And continue the education and listening, because you don't know everything, so listen as well. <laughs> Yes, we all have so much to learn. And I love that you said it's a value when it's part of our core value. Mm -hmm. When it's part of our core values, we never see a budget cut to our core values. Oh, no, never. It doesn't happen. Yeah, it's a part of us. I love that. So before you go, um, we always like to ask our guests, if we're now handing over to you the HR magic wand, what would be the one policy that you would change um, having this wand to make the workplace better for women? Make it part of the value of the organization because then we know it's definitely going to yeah. be. <laughs> well, you know, when you were saying that, I was thinking this is, has to be it. Yes, absolutely. That it needs to be. And what a great way for us as practitioners and consultants to change the culture of an organization if it's a value. It's, it's a value. It's not an agenda item. It's not a program, but it's mm -hmm. actually a value. Well, another question we always love to ask is, what's your hashtag for gender diversity? My hashtag for gender diversity, hashtag do it now. Do it now. Yeah, do it now. We cannot continue to wait. I know, especially, you know, when we talk about black women, we constantly get this, 
<laughs> telling us to wait for other groups to get theirs and then they'll come back for us. We're not, we're not waiting. You're not coming back for us because we are going now. We are going to get what's rightfully ours now. We want to be recognized now for the work that we're doing. We want to be recognized for our brilliance. We are tired of being the best kept secret. We are ready to do the work that we know that we're qualified for. And we're not asking for favors. We're asking for you for opportunity. And I think Viola Davis said it best when she won her award. And she said that we cannot win these awards if the scripts are not written for us. Exactly. I remember that speech. That was a powerful speech. Yes. And, you know, sometimes when the script's not written for us, we have to find ways to write our own scripts. That's right. Shirley Chisholm said that one, right? Bring our own chair to the table. There's no chair for us. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having us. How can our community uh, reach out to you? You know, we do have our HR Inner Circle members who are already going to get this video. They're going to get the audio and the special gift that you're leaving for them. So if they're not in the community, how would they be able to uh, reach out to you? At the WorkplaceSuccess.com. So that's our website. And you know, reach out to us that way. So WorkplaceSuccess.com is our website. And come join us. Yes. She's doing amazing work. Karen does amazing work in race relations, but she also does amazing work with her leaders. And so if you're in a place and your organization does not even know which way to go, oh. I don't know... Who would not recommend Karen? So thanks so much. Who would recommend us? <laughs> Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thanks. Before you go, here are my three takeaways from today's session and how you can craft them into client offerings. The first one, Karen talked about diversity as a value. I thought that was very strategic. If you think about it, when you're crafting an organization's strategic plans, you're talking about their core values, their mission, their vision. What a great opportunity for you to talk about how they should include diversity within that. This way, diversity is not just a program or it's not something that they're working on as a temporary fix, but it's embedded into everything that they're doing. How can you make that a client offering? With that, you can kind of offer to clients, helping them to rewrite their strategic plan, helping them to rewrite their core values. This is an opportunity for you can use this probably one of your entry-level projects into an organization. The second one she talked about was making sure that now we're getting people awoke. So as people are being awakened to what's happening in the Black community, and there's a lot of education going on, we want to keep that going. Some of the things that you can do is have trainings on empathy. You can start courageous conversations. And you also, when you're talking about education, you can even have learning sessions or you can take that education, not just training, but where you're really educating on the different issues that are impacting the Black community. That's another offering you can consider. And the third one, we talked about intersectionality, but make sure that you do not overwhelm your client by going down into intersectionality without giving a very general and high level viewpoint about what's happening in the Black community. You can do that as your first offering and then begin to start explaining to them the impacts that it's having of the racial discrimination or where there's not equity in the organization, affecting Black women, affecting the LBGT community who are also Black. So these are different offerings that you can give. Those are my takeaways for today. I would love to hear what you took away today. Drop it in the comments. That's a wrap. And thanks for joining us for the HR for Her podcast. 
And if you would like to find more ways for creating a workplace where the women in your organization will thrive, then go ahead and do two things. One, download our gender policy checklist at our site, hrforher.com, and find out how your company measures up. And two, subscribe now to our channel and leave a review. We would love to hear from you.